If you would, take your Bibles to John chapter 18. John chapter 18. The Gospel of John can be broken down into three primary sections. Chapters 1 through 12, we find the miracles or the signs that Jesus did that John wrote about so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we would have eternal life. When we come to chapter 13, we find Jesus dismissing Judas because he is going to betray him. He's announcing Peter's denial. And then in these chapters, he begins to teach, to give instruction to his disciples for the life that they're going to live, for the ministry that they're going to have following his crucifixion and resurrection and ultimately his ascension to heaven. And then in verse number, or excuse me, chapter 17, which we just finished up last week, we see Christ's high priestly prayer where he prayed for himself and his current disciples. And then he prayed for those of us that are a part of the church, those that will believe in the future. Now, as we transition to chapter number 18 through chapter 21, we have the arrest and the crucifixion and then ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we read through this gospel, we see that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John shares certain details with us, but uh, details that he shares with us, the other gospels don't, and some of the other gospels have details that John uh, does not share with us here, but we remember that um, these things are happening, um, where some things like Judas, as he's dismissed, goes and, and meets with those that um, talked him into betraying Jesus. When we come into chapter number 18, we see this happening again where John gives us certain details about Jesus. He tells us there in verse number one that Jesus had spoken these words after he had talked and preached and shared with them about the uh, things that he wanted them to learn and know for his departure. The Bible says that he goes over the book Kidron and then um, the Bible talks about him going into the garden of Gethsemane. And while he's in the garden, the other gospels share with us that he goes away to pray. And, and he tells three of his disciples, I want you to wait here and pray. And then he goes away. And multiple times he comes back to them after he prays and he finds them sleeping. He rebukes them and then he tells them to do it again. Pray and I'm going to go away to pray. And it's here in the garden that we see that Jesus prays, um, drops, or excuse me, sweats, drops of blood. We see that Jesus prays to the Father, if, if this cup can pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, but your will uh, be, be done. And so these things are all happening in conjunction to what we see going on, and I want you to keep a few of those things in mind as we go through chapter number 18 and these following verses. But in verse number one, we see that Jesus comes and he crosses over this book, this brook, Kidron. The brook was east of Jerusalem. It was between the city of Jerusalem and the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was going to go and where he spent a lot of his, his time. This brook has uh, Old Testament significance, but by the time that Jesus uh, lived and walked on this earth, it is said to be filled during this time of year with the blood um, from the temple sacrifices. William Barclay, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, he wrote this. He said, all the Passover lambs were killed in the temple, and the blood of the lambs was poured on the altar as an offering to God. The number of lambs slain for the Passover was immense. 
On one occasion, 30 years after the time of Jesus, a census was taken, and the number of lambs that were killed was 256,000. We imagine what the temple courts were like when the blood of all these lambs was dashed on the altar. So from the altar, there was a channel down to the brook Kidron, and through that channel, the blood of the Passover lambs drained away. And so it is said that when Jesus crossed this brook, that it would still be red with the blood of the lambs which had been sacrificed. And as he did so, he thought of his own sacrifice that would surely, uh, the thought of his own sacrifice would surely be vivid in his, in his mind. And I don't know all the, that was going on in that time and, and what that brook looked like, but there is some great truth and great detail there that I just wanted to bring out. But as you go through these verses, I want to read them with you. There's uh, some different things that I want to point out before we jump into the main point of the message. Verse 2, it says, Judas also which betrayed him knew the place, for Jesus oftentimes resorted thither with his disciples. And so we see here Judas who had gone away to be with those that wanted to crucify him. Judas knew this place and he comes back because he understood that Jesus would go to this place as he often did. Verse number three, Judas had received a band of men and officers from the, notice this, chief priests and Pharisees cometh thither with lanterns and torches and, and weapons. And so we see that Judas gathers together with him, not just soldiers from the Roman army, but th those of the religious order of that day, those that said they believed God, those that they said that they loved God. And, there, and in verse number four, it says, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, whom seek ye? And so we see that Jesus knew all that was going to take place. Over and over in the, in the Gospel of John, we've heard Christ say, my hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. And then he would tell them, my, just a little while and I'm going to be gone. My hour is coming. But now we've seen in the last chapter, he says, my hour is at, at hand. And he knew all that was going to take place. And I want to submit to you today, by way of introduction, that he was about to go through the hardest moment in his earthly life. He was about to go through the hardest hours of his earthly life. And I believe there are several, several lessons that we as Christians today can learn from Jesus in this situation. Father, we thank you for the life of Christ and Lord, we thank you for the death of Christ on the cross of Calvary and the, the resurrection that brings eternal life. And I pray that if somebody here today does not know Christ as their Savior, they will, will they understand, Lord, the price that was paid by Christ on the cross for their sin so that they could have eternal life by turning from their sin and receiving by faith Jesus Christ and the free gift of salvation. But Father, for those of us that are Christians that live in this life, I pray, Father, that you would help us in our walk with you, challenge us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, we kind of keep a timeline of events uh, through our life. It's kind of like the highlights of our life. You know, if we think of our birth and then maybe uh, kindergarten, and then the time we get our driver's license, high school graduation, college graduation, our wedding, uh, probably our children being born, then our grandchildren, 
and then retirement. And it's kind of like these are the, 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 the highlights of our life. And those are the, the moments that we look to most of all when we look back on the history of our life. But the truth, truth be told, in the middle of all of these highlight moments, there are some good times. But you know, there are a lot of, a lot of tough moments. There's a lot of difficult moments that, that we face. And I've heard preacher after preacher, really leader after leader say that it's in those moments that your character is exposed. It's not in those moments that our character grows and develops, but it's in those moments, the difficult moments of our life, that our character is truly exposed. And so here in John 18, we find Christ in one of the most difficult moments of his life. He's just prayed, giving us a a picture of, of how hard it's going to be, praying that, Father, if if it if it can, would you remove this cup from me? But he knows what, what's coming. And in, in verses 1 through 11, I believe we see some great, some great lessons for, for life. You see, I, I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is, has been talking to these disciples about how they're to live their life. And, and throughout Scripture, we're, we're given instructions and commands and admonitions to, to encourage us to be like Christ and to encourage us into how we are to live our life. And where we've come to in our society today, and even within the church, listen, nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants to have any expectations. And God forbid we put any accountability in place, any standard that we have to meet to. Now, listen, I understand that concept of legalism, and I understand the concept of standards that aren't biblical and all those type of things, but the church has gone so far the other direction that we've missed the point. Nobody looks like Christ. Nobody looks like Jesus and and what he wants us to look like in our life. And so I submit to you today that in order for us to get to that place, we have to look at his life and listen to his teaching and, and apply that to our life. Hey, listen, God wants you to live for Jesus. He wants you to look like Jesus. He wants you to act like Jesus. And he gives us instruction in his word to help us do that. And so we can't throw out the Bible. We can't say, well, we're just going to live our life and we're free to do whatever we want to do. Hey, listen, I'm free in Christ and I have Christian liberty, but I'm free to live for God and to live according to his word and to worship him and serve him. I'm not free to run around like an idiot and and live like the world and live contrary to, to the Bible. And so if if Jesus is trying to get his disciples and he's trying to get us to live like him, we have to delve into the word, dive into the word, and figure out what what does that look like for us. And so there's several lessons I want to bring to your attention this morning from verses 1 through 11 here in John chapter 18. The first lesson is the lesson of obedience, the lesson of, of obedience. When we we look at the situation, we see the cross is coming to to Jesus, and and as he was bleeding these sweat drops of blood, it was though as he was surrendering to the Father's will concerning the cross. He's praying, God, I I don't want to go through this, but I I would rather obey you than to give in to my own flesh and my own will. When we look at the the life of Christ, he surrendered willingly to the obedience of what God had had planned for him. I heard one one commentator say, selected obedience is not obedience at all. It is merely convenience. You know, it's interesting that at times we pick and choose the things that we, we we want to obey. 
We, we don't really do the things that God has called us to do. We, 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 we want to justify, we want to argue, we want to debate, we want to, you know, fight against what God's will is and all those type of things. And, and we, you know, we act as if it's a hard thing to do. Because we want to we obey in the ways that we want to obey, where we're comfortable, obey in the things that, that we like. But often the biggest struggle is going through sorrow and, and suffering and, and difficult times. It's in the, the, the agony of life that we, we tend to struggle to be obedient to, to God and to his will and to his word. But we need to be like Christ and say, listen, Father, whatever your will is, whatever you want me to go through in life. You know, the, the reality is, is probably everybody in here has been through a tragedy in life. When I say tragedy, a loss of loved one. I know we call that a tragedy, but it's a reality of life. We all lose people and, and just hardships in life and, and the, the things, you know, storms of life. My, my, uh, the other, yesterday morning I woke up and I guess we had a storm come through on, um, on Friday night and uh, we have a table outside and, on our patio area and uh, I walked out, I looked out the window and I saw my grill was all twisted around and flipped around or something like that and the wind had come through and blew it and so I went out there to, to move and I looked over and um, a chair had blown up and fell on top of this glass table that I had there, and glass was shattered all over, all over my yard. You know, storms, they destroy things, and they cause hardships and pains and, 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 and struggles in life. And it's in those moments that we can, we oftentimes become bitter and angry and, 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 and sad. I hear people say, you know, I'm going through some things, Pastor. That's why I haven't been in church. Hey, listen, when you're going through some things, you need to be in church. When you're not going through some things, you need to be in church. I mean, we need the church and we need God's people, but we justify our disobedience because of the hardships in life. But it's in these moments, what did Jesus pray? Not my will, but thy will be done. God, what do you want me to do? And this is what Jesus prays there, there in the garden as, the, as he's preparing to, for Judas to come and the betrayal to, to, to happen. You know, I was thinking about this obedience. You know, obedience keeps us in the place of fellowship. You know, sometimes people say, you know, I just don't feel close to God. Uh, you know, and then you hear preachers say, well, listen, God's not the one that moved. You are the one that moved, right? And so I would check, are we obeying God and being faithful to God and his desires and his will? You know, I've never, you know, read the Bible and prayed and been around Christians and walked out and think, man, I just don't feel close to God. You know, sometimes I don't feel close to God, I don't feel very spiritual, and I go to church, and I hear a sermon, and our Sunday school lesson, and I'm around other believers, and I leave, and I'm like, man, I feel close to God. Like, just an hour ago, I felt like, you know, despair in my life, and now, man, I'm excited and rejuvenated. Why? Because I, I was obedient and in fellowship with God. Obedience keeps us close to God and in fellowship with Him. I read this story this week. I thought it was interesting. There was a little boy who was riding his tricycle around the block, and uh, around the block he would go, and around the block, and there was a police officer that, that drove up and stopped, and he watched this little boy go around the block and around the block on his tricycle. And so finally he pulls over, and he says, son, why are you riding your tricycle around the block? And he said, because I'm running away from home. <laughs> the officer said, running away from home? Why are you going around and around? He said, because my mother told me not to cross the street. What an example of obedience. It kept him close to home, even though he was running away. It kept him close to home. In his despair and his anger and his frustration, it kept him close to home because he was, he was simply obedient. 
You know, when life gets the hardest, it's when we should be the most obedient and the most faithful to God. Hey, listen, I, I know life is hard. And here we find Jesus coming to one of the hardest moments, probably the hardest moment of his life. And, and we see him in the garden praying, not my will, but thy will be done. The psalmist in Psalm 143 said, teach me to do thy will, for thou art my God. Samuel told Saul, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. You know, sometimes we have this idea of I'll serve and I'll sacrifice and I'll give and, and all those type of things, and it'll cover up. It'll cover up my disobedience. Listen, God knows your heart and he knows where you are. And he's called us to be obedient. And when we look at the life of Christ, what does the Bible tell us? He came, he took on flesh there in Philippians 2, and he was obedient even to the death on the cross. What a lesson we can learn from our Savior here in this passage as he's about to be betrayed and as he's there in, in, this, in this garden. The second, the second lesson we learn here is a lesson of hypocrisy. It's not seen in this passage, but the Bible tells us that Judas also, which betrayed him, knew. In verse 3, Judas gathered this, these bands together, and they came uh, to Jesus, and they, they approach him, and Jesus asked them, whom seek ye? And the reason he asked them that is because in the other Gospels, the Bible tells us that Judas came, and he kissed. He kissed Jesus. A kiss was a greeting and a sign of care and, and friendship. In that day. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus even asks him at that time, You are betraying me with, with a kiss? You're betraying me with, with a kiss? And, and here's the picture Judas is putting on a show. How often do, do we put on a show? How often do we put on a show? Listen, we're, we're, we're nice to somebody's face, and then we, we talk about them behind their back. Hey, you're just the greatest. I'm glad you're here, and I love you. And then we walk away. Man, I can't stand that person. Like, well, man, they get on my nerves every time I see them. And, and, and that's kind of how we treat people. Or this is what we have happen in our day. We say one thing to people, and then we jump on our computers, and we type up different things about them or say different things about them. And there's this idea of hypocrisy. Let's bring it to the church. Well, I, I love God, and, and I, and I want to serve God, and, and I want to glorify God with my life. But here's what we do. We want to do it in our way. We want to do it in our time. And we justify scheduling our obedience and our service to God. And we walk around and we want everybody to have this perception of us because we put on a show. We show up. We have our Bible. We sing the songs. We lift our hands. No, we don't lift our hands. We, you know, whatever we do. We do all of these spiritual things, you know, to, to put on the show. But then we go out and we're totally different. Somebody asks you, hey, can you help in this? I'm not helping. I don't have time for that. Somebody has a need, and, and, and our mindset is, well, you put yourself in that position. Don't bother me. And we, we put on a show about you know, how much we love God. And this is what we see happening here. And Jesus asked Judas, you're betraying me with a kiss? You're going to give this sign of friendship and, and care when in your heart you think something totally different? And so we see a picture of, of hypocrisy. We, we do that oftentimes, unfortunately, in our life. 
We, 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 we say things and we act a certain way because we want attention, you know, we want glory in ourselves, and it's all about us, but then we go out and we live, live totally different. But the truth is, is if you're a Christian here at church, then you're a Christian everywhere you go. If you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're part of the family of God, you're a Christian, and you should glorify and honor God with your life no matter, no matter what you're doing, no matter where you find yourself. And you should be, this, be the, the same person. And don't act like we love God and we love the church, and, and then when we turn around and we go out and we do something, we do something totally different. And so here in this, we have this picture of 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 hypocrisy. And then we see a picture of, of anger. Judas goes on, and in verse number five, they answered Jesus, and um, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus said unto them, I am he, and Judas also which betrayed him stood with them. And soon then he had said unto them, I am he. They went backward and fell uh, to the ground. I want you to notice, he says, I am, I am he. He's again reiterating who he is. He's not holding back. I am God. Just like he said all throughout the Gospel of John, I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. You go on and on. I, I am. There's no question about who Jesus is saying he is. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And so soon he said unto them, I am he. They went backward and fell to the ground. And then Asked he them again, whom seek ye? And they said to Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake, of them which thou gavest me I have lost none. Then notice, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Melchus. And here in verse 10, Jesus, John tells us that Peter took his sword and cut off the heir of the high priest. I think it's interesting that if John is the only one that actually tells us that it was Peter that was the disciple that cut off his, his ear. Um, some believe that when the other gospels were written, Peter was still alive and they did not want to um, put him in harm's way. And by the time John wrote the Gospel of John, Peter was dead, and so he wasn't worried about that. But G John tells us that it was Peter. But notice the reaction. No notice the, rea the, the reaction is, is anger. The, 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 reaction is, the reaction here is to, to defend. We often justify our attitudes and our actions because we think things are not fair, fair or they're not just. We, we look at a situation and, and we're going to defend. And, you know, it's interesting. I, a long time ago, I learned in my life that it does me no good to defend myself. You know, people attack me and people, you know, come against me for whatever the reason is. And, you know, my, my natural reaction in the flesh is to who do you think you are, or, you know, or to get back at them and to, to, to defend ourselves. And what happens is we become angry. And so when I become angry and you're angry, what happens? There's, there's more friction, right? There's more friction. It's kind of like in a marriage, you have the love respect book. I don't know if you've ever read that concept. You know, you don't love, I don't respect, you don't love, I don't respect, and you go on this big circle. And so if you're mad at me and I'm mad at you, what happens? Where you're angry, you're going to get back at me. I'm angry, I'm going to get back at you. And so if I try to just constantly come back at you, and that's what we do, we have to get our way, we have to make our point. And so what, what, what Peter does, and then, you know, God forbid, well, I got to defend those that I love. 
And this is what Peter was doing. His reaction is, I'm sure, to Judas and to these soldiers is, is anger because this is the, their Messiah. This is their king. This is the one that, that they love. And so they're going to stand up and they're going to defend them. And, and, and we see that happen all over the place, right? Now, when I was a kid in school, I was always wrong. Anybody like that? Anybody like that? I, I was always wrong, right? When, when I got in trouble at school, it didn't matter if I was right, wrong, or indifferent. My mom said I was wrong, no matter what. And my parents took the teacher's side and all those things. We don't see that in the world today. Right, wrong, or indifferent. I mean, the kids are always right in our society today, and teachers are wrong, and the, the authority's wrong, and, you know, everybody's problem but theirs, and everybody else is wrong, and, and that mindset. And, and I remember, you know, you know, growing up, I'm like, Mom, you need to defend me on this. Like, I'm right in this situation, and, and they're wrong. Uh, you know, so after I was adopted, my, um, my sister was our administrator at our Christian school. And she's here today, so that's why I'm throwing her under the bus. So. <laughs> and so I'd go to school, and I'd get in trouble for no reason at all. I mean, I was, I was the perfect student in our school. And so I'd get demerits, I'd get in trouble, whatever it was, you know, she'd be mad at me or whatever. And it made it worse because then I had to go home and deal with her too, because she lived across the street and we'd have dinner together at times. And, and so it was annoying, but, um, you know, I'd come to, I'd come to school and, I, and I'd be getting in trouble. And now listen, 99% of the time I was in the wrong. Okay. I'll be honest with you, but there was those times that she was wrong. All right. And I'm saying that cause I get the last word cause she would never admit this, but Listen, there was times she'd wrong, and I'd go home, and my dad's like, boy, what did you do? And you're in trouble, you're grounded, whatever, you know, and all that stuff. And I'm like, no, she was wrong in this moment. And he's like, I don't want to hear it, you know. She, and I'm like, defend me. And that's kind of our flesh. Like, we want to defend and fight and get back. And, and listen, Jesus here, Peter, is, is anger, and we see his zeal and his desire to protect the Lord, but his reaction was, was not right. His reaction was not right. Now, let me stop right here and say this. There are things as Christians we should get angry about. Now, listen, it drives me insane when people take the Lord's name in vain. It like irritates me in my, in my spirit. It just drives me insane. And I can become angry about that. And so like if I'm out in the community, I'll ask people, you know, hey, don't, don't say that. All right? Don't, don't, don't take the Lord's name in vain in front of me. You don't need to talk that way. That name's not a curse word, and it, it drives me insane. Hey, listen, when somebody preaches a false doctrine or a false gospel, that, that stuff drives me insane. But you know, for most Christians, it doesn't bother. That's not what bothers them. What, what bothers them is that I didn't get my way. You didn't give me credit. You didn't treat me right. I, I don't, I, I'm, not, I'm not able to go first, and, and you're taking my position in line. Those are the things that we get upset about. You know, we get mad about nonsense, but things that truly matter, that are truth and the gospel and the word of God, we, we're just nonchalant about it. We, we got to get that fixed. And, and so here, notice, I want you to notice the passage here. Jesus, uh, in verse number 10, Peter cuts off this guy's ear. And then verse number 11, then said Jesus unto Peter, put up the sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Notice Notice Jesus' response. And it brings us to our next point is, is warfare. Warfare. Now, you'll notice as you read through this passage, and I'm not going to read it again because we've already read it. They bring weapons. They bring lanterns. They bring swords. And Peter has his sword, and he uses it. 
But Jesus knows that the battle here is spiritual. That's why he's going to go to the cross. And, and here in chapter 18, if you look down with me, verse 36, Jesus answered them and said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. And so here's what Jesus tells them. Listen, this world is not my kingdom. And so we're not going to fight using the weapons of this world. Why? Because we're in a spiritual, we're in a spiritual battle. So for many of us in our, our flesh, we become angry. And so our warfare is, is gossip. It, it's backbiting. It, it's mis, um, misrepresenting people to others. It's doing whatever we can to, to get back at them or to, to backbite. It, it's maybe even physical at times. We want to hurt them, hurt them in some way. But listen, for the Christian, our warfare is spiritual. Hey, when somebody takes your spot in line, why don't you stop and pray for them there in that moment? I've always been told you can't mad at pe be mad at people you pray for. You can't be mad at people you pray for. I don't know if that's true or not. I've still been mad at people I've prayed for in life. But it didn't make, but when I'm praying for them, I'm not retaliating to them. I'm not using the weapons of this world to, to get back at them. When, when somebody hurts my feelings or mysteries or our personality doesn't get along or I don't like something that they're doing, instead of trying to use the weapons of this world to, to get back at them or, or to, to get our way, why don't we stop and, and pray and ask the Lord to, to bless them? and, and to, to help you in that relationship. And why don't you pray and ask the Lord to show you what you're doing wrong in that situation. God forbid we could ever have anything wrong in our life. But we need to look at our weapons as being spiritual. When we're frustrated, get in the Bible. Hey, when we're struggling, get around other believers that can encourage, encourage you. You know, I have, I have friends and family in my life. I, I start spouting off at them. My wife is the worst, and she's not here. She's listening to this online because she's driving back from Michigan, I believe. And, um, but, man, when I start getting frustrated about things, she starts quoting Scripture to me, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't want to hear that right now. And, but that's what I need. Hey, why don't you pray about this? Why, why, why don't, you know? But, man, sometimes when I'm struggling, the best thing for me to do is to get around Summer. And just to be around her or to get around some of our staff here or people in our church because they, they, they just encourage me. And just the friendship and the love and the kindness kind of helps me get over myself in those moments. Because our warfare is not about the things in this life. And here's what we have to figure out. And, and listen, I, what, listen, if you work in our church or ministry, if you work in the public environment, if you have kids at home, Whatever your relation, whatever your position is in life, here's what, here's what we have to figure out. Our responsibility is to, in honor, prefer one another. Our responsibility is to want what God's best for other people. Listen, I want God to bless you. I want God to help you. I want God to strengthen you and your relationship. My responsibility is not to get my way. And this is the ultimate example that we see in, in the life of Christ. He's going to the cross. Why? To die for the ungodly. To die for you and me. He's going to give his life for our benefit. Because that was the greatest weapon that he had at his disposal. Because somebody had to die for our sin. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Listen, my responsibility is to want better for you and what's best. And I have to be willing to put myself aside and my desires so that the will of God can be done and so that you can be blessed and strengthened. We have to care about other people. And one of the greatest weapons that we have at our disposal is the weapon of love. And that's why Jesus has told his disciples, love as you love yourself. No, wait a minute. Let's take it another step further. Love as I have loved you. And that's the greatest weapon that we have today in every relationship that we have. Because when we love others as Christ loved us, we, get, we put ourselves aside. And we're there to, to help them. So the little inconveniences, the little things that they did. And, and listen, sometimes people can just pick at your nerves. You know who I'm talking about. Don't look at them. You know, they just pick on your nerves and just get on you and, and just over and over. And just, listen, I understand that. Their personality or their attitudes or the way that they do things. It, it, maybe, listen, for some of you, it's the way they chew their food now. You're so irritated with them. And so everything they do just bothers you. How about we get over ourselves and start loving them and seeing them for who they are as a, as a child of God, a creation of God, or as, as a person that needs Christ if they're not saved, and, and start showing them the love. That's the, that's the weapons that we have at our disposal. And so we live in a world that wants to fight and wants to, to battle. And Jesus says, Peter, he picks up the air and he, he heals the guy and he says, listen, put the sword away. It's not going to do us any good. It's not going to do us any good because why? It goes to number five. Our final point, our final lesson to learn is, is a lesson concerning God's will. And it, notice verse 11. Put up thy sword into the sheath. Notice the cup. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? The cup. Jesus prayed, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Nevertheless, thy will be done. The cup is is the will of God for Jesus to go to the cross. And Jesus understands that this is the Father's will. And so he came and he was obedient even unto the cross. And so the lesson is the Father's will took priority over everything else. God's will takes priority over everything else in the life of Christ. Everything has been working to, to this point. And life is, listen, I know we read about Jesus' life and he didn't have a home and all these type of things, but the life has not been that bad up to this point. And now he's coming, his, his hour is at hand, the time to go to the cross is here. And he says, this is the cup. This is, this is God's will. This is God's will for my life. Should I not do what God has called me to do? Should I not drink from this cup. You know, the, the Leonard's are here today, and you know, their cup is to go to Japan. That, that's, that's God's will. That's what God has called them to do. And so they're willing to, to give up, you know, all of their home there in Guam and their home and family here and, and, and go to Japan because that's the cup. You know, the cup that you have is, is to raise the children that God has given you in your life. That, that's your cup. And sometimes it's sweet, but you know, a lot of times it's bitter, isn't it? Should you not drink it? We live in a world today where people, they have kids and they just want to throw them to the side. And you hear all the time the statistics about, you know, fatherless families and and orphans and, and all those type of things and the struggle that we have because nobody has commitment to the cup that they've been given in life. 
It's, it's God's will for us. Are we willing to do it? You say, well, I'm, tr- I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to figure out what is God's will for, for my life. And I know there's a struggle sometimes when it's the big things as, as, you know, vocation and where to live and all those type of things. But, you know, we struggle a lot of times with the things that are just plain right there in God's, God's will. God's cup for you is, his will is for you to read the Bible and attend church and to love other people and to serve and, and to give and sacrifice. And this is, these are things that God says, this is my will for your life. Forgive others if I, as I have forgiven you. Hey, listen, if you're holding on to bitterness today, if you're holding on to anger and, and, and you can't forgive other people, then you're, you haven't learned the example that Jesus is trying to teach here. Hey, this is my cup. Should I not drink it? Should I not be willing to forgive those that have offended me? When God has commanded us to do it, it's his will to do it. And, and listen, I know forgiving people, it's hard in our flesh to do it. And that's why we have to realize our, our weapons, our warfare is not of this world. Because once we start thinking worldly, then we think about our rights and, and what you did to me, and I don't have to forgive you, and I'm not going to forgive you, and I'm going to get my way instead of sacrificing for the benefit of others. Jesus says to Peter, put, put your sword away. Are, are we going to kill these guys? Don't you realize I've been trying to teach you this and get you to understand this point? This is the will of God. Should I not do what God has called me to do? And so we have this great lesson here from the life of Christ. Be obedient. Whatever God has called you to do, and listen, sometimes it's going to be grand and glorious and great and amazing, but a lot of times it's going to be difficult. A lot of times it's going to, it's going to cost you some things, as we heard about Christ in that song. It's a le- lesson about hypocrisy. Too many too many in the church are just like Judas. We, 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 we put on a show, but we have ulterior motives. We put on a show in front of everybody, but we're different. For many, our natural reaction is anger. Fight back. Not realizing our weapons, our warfare is not of this world. We're to love and show the love of God, and we're to be gracious and kind and compassionate we're to be angry about the things that are important, things that, things that matter, and not the frivolous things of this world. And in all of this, the overarching lesson that we can learn today is God's will should be a priority in our life. It doesn't matter what men think. It doesn't matter what society thinks. What God has called us to do, that should be our priority in life. Hey, if we want to be like Jesus, then these are lessons that we need to apply to our life.